Hi, this is Cynthia from What Korea Do I Pick podcast. This is a place for you to learn about the different types of jobs that are out there with the hopes that you gain a little bit of clarity in terms of the type of role or job or career that you might want to follow. Today, we will be talking about the world of user experience design, otherwise known as UX. Our guest is Berlin Nu, a experienced UX designer, having worked at large companies such as Nab and Belong. Today, she is a product designer at Zero, and she not only works for one of the biggest technology companies in Australia, but also she is a co-organizer at Ladies That UX Melbourne and a designer in residence at Academy XI. This is a great episode for people who are searching for their passion and may need a little bit of a push. Berlin and I discussed how she started her career and how she came across the UX world and why she loves it so much. She explains how she pivoted into her new career and tells us a little bit more about what the day-to-day of a UX designer looked like. I had a blast chatting with her, so I'm sure you get to learn heaps from her as well. Let's get started. I would like to start by saying thank you for being part of the podcast. I appreciate putting aside time to have a chat with me. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for even including me. No, you're like one of the first few people that came to mind when I was putting together the the potential guest list, because I think you've got all like everything that I I was looking for in a guest. You've got the motivation, the drive, and you found your passion and you live and breathe it every single day. Anyways, I thought it would be good to like any... Whenever we tell a story, you know, it's always good to start at the beginning. So I thought maybe we can wind back a little bit in time and talk about what you did in uni. So what did you study back in uni? All right. So university. Wow, this is a while ago. I studied a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Melbourne. I majored in linguistics and media and communications. And alongside that, I also did a diploma in modern languages where I majored in Spanish. So my background from an academic perspective was pretty much in the arts. Mm. And if anything, it was focused on linguistics and languages. And so for those who don't know what linguistics is, the easiest way to describe it is, I guess, the science behind language. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think language is made up and um, doesn't have rules, but On the contrary, there's lots that goes behind uh, language itself, but how language is used in society, how um, it can sometimes be the reasons of miscommunications or cultural communication issues and whatnot. So I went into that field because it really fascinated me. Um, Mm. And then Spanish was because I wanted to pick up a third language and um, Mm. I'm bilingual. So I speak English and Malay, having grown up in Malaysia and uh, Spanish was just an interest of mine. Um, And I had media and communications in there because um, I came from a family that was quite risk averse when it came to, uh, I guess, picking your degrees. And they Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure I had something in my degree that would land me a job because they weren't super confident I would land a job with linguistics and languages. Um, So I had media in there with the hope of, I guess, getting a media job at some mm-hmm. point, which I kind of did, but we'll jump into that later. Yeah, so that was like a safety net in a way, uh, as a way to negotiate with your parents. 
Yes, it was. Um, I did that as a, I guess you're right. It was a safety net. It was kind of a bit of a bartering. I, I said to them, I'll do media and communications, which I was kind of generally interested in anyway, but mm-hmm. nowhere near um, as my love for linguistics and languages. But mm-hmm. um, I said, I'll do that mm-hmm. if in exchange for letting me have the space to explore linguistics <laughs> further as another major. So yeah, that was great. Great yeah. negotiation practice as a student. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Especially because I find like Asians sometimes can be a bit close-minded in general. I'm generalizing here, but in terms of like what degree we should be pursuing in uni, they 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 have very specific like a specific list of degrees that they would accept. I think personally, I think you you aren't wrong in that. Um, the trend seems to be um, a lot of people, from, at least from Southeast Asia, have perceived notions about certain degrees and. Mm-hmm. My personal take is that the less likely you see someone successful in a having done a certain degree, mm-hmm. the less likely you think the degree will help them be successful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in Asia, if you do a degree in like medicine or law or even economics to some extent, and you from the from those degrees you become successful lawyers and doctors mm-hmm. and earn lots of money or is successful whatever that is right because that's different to lots of people of course they'll think that those degrees are likely to set you on a different path but um, a safer, I'm a big, a safer path. path yeah but I'm a big believer that you know the arts is full of so much discovery work that I'm forever grateful I spent the time exploring mm-hmm. but it is it is what you do with it that then makes you successful. Mm-hmm. It's not the degree itself. Yeah. So I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the arts, but I also hope that my story then, uh, I guess, not inspires. I don't think it could, but it'd be great if it did. Uh, I think it can. People. Yeah, but it'd be great to say like you know, you know, there's this general stereotype that those who do arts are doomed, uh, or we, you know, we we used to get made fun of at university mm-hmm. for doing the arts, and I loved it. And it's just amazing that now my story is one of, oh, I did the arts, but I consciously chose it. And I'm Mm -hmm. very happy with the career path I found now. Mm. Um, So, you know, I I don't believe in the stereotypes. It's what you do with it afterwards that matters. I agree. I agree. It's what you do with it. I know a lot of people that have done, let's say, a commerce, um, bachelor of commerce degree and looking at where they are in life in general, not about career per se, not all of them, but some, uh, I wouldn't say that they're happy and I wouldn't say that they found their passion and they're sort of doing what they love. Mm. But looking at you, I think you're like a definition of success where um, for me, like the definition of success depends on, you know, on case by case basis. But for me, it means, you know, it's doing what you love, what you enjoy doing the most, doing what you're good at and getting paid for it, essentially. And I think you tick all of those boxes. So like what you do in uni doesn't really dictate how successful you'll be later on. So it's what you do with it in, in yeah. a way. And I think you raised a really good point in that success is different to everyone. So mm-hmm. I recognize that sometimes a job means different things to people. Sometimes a job is a mechanism for paying bills and if that mm-hmm. is all you want it to be that is okay yep. like I may not share the same opinion but if that is who you are 
then mm-hmm. go you for knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, if a job is then some something that you feel needs to embody everything that you are as a human being and your values, then also again, go you for recognizing it. Mm-hmm. But I think they are very different strategies. Um, mm-hmm. So as long as you know what you're you're using it for, like a job, because we all mm-hmm. we all do need it. If we live in capitalistic societies, we we need a job to survive. Yeah. But your attitude towards a job really shapes the way then how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am in the camp of, I wanted to do a job that I loved mm-hmm. and it'd be amazing if I got paid for it, right? So instead yeah. of just doing it for free, I got paid for it. So yes, on that definition, yes, I am successful. But I also did a few jobs before I pivoted that I viewed as just a mechanism until I found my way, right? So mm. I think yeah. knowing yeah. what success is upfront will help guide you as opposed to taking a blank slate of what, mm. I mean, not a blank slate, but just a dictionary defined mm-hmm. idea of success and then yeah. putting it upon yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. so you mentioned you've done a couple of different jobs before you pivoted into UX. So I think the main topic for this conversation is the UX world. Um, but before we jump into that, it will be good to have a chat about what you did before you found the UX world. So I think you mentioned you did advertisement, digital advertisement. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I suppose I can rewind back just a little bit further. Yeah. So I graduated in 2012 mm-hmm. uh, from university. And for mm-hmm. 2013, I told myself I wasn't sure what I wanted to work in yet. So mm-hmm. I made 2013 the year of experiments. So I tried out so many different industries. I interned, I worked part-time, I contracted, I freelanced. I did everything just to try out different industries. So in 2013, I dabbled in social media marketing. I dabbled in public relations. I dabbled in um, a bit of data entry, which just to understand what it was, I know data entry sounds boring, but I just wanted to understand how is it used? How How is data entry important in an overall process um, at the company I was at? Mm-hmm. Um, I went into event management and worked at the Melbourne Fringe Festival for mm-hmm. um, a season, which was awesome. I went into festival work for a little while. Mm-hmm. I went into blog marketing. So I, I dabbled in a lot of different That's things. That's one year. So, in one year, yeah, wow. but still related in the media sense. Also, when I graduated with my linguistics degree, a lot of the work is in academia and a lot of it isn't in Melbourne. You can also work in policy if you work in if you wanted to pursue linguistics, which was not something I was necessarily interested in at the time. Mm-hmm. So I decided to look in the media aspect of mm-hmm. you know what I studied and how mm-hmm. I could apply it. That experimental year led me through conversations of conversations into what was my then my first job. Mm-hmm. And that was media buying and planning. That's the mm-hmm. official term. Yeah, I think to a lot of people, uh, they don't know what it means. And that's totally okay. It's an industry that I find is really quite not well known, but is in every country and, you know, is behind a lot of digital advertising and, and just any kind of advertising, but also digital advertising. So I ended up going into media buying and planning and working in digital advertising specifically. Mm-hmm. And I honed my skills in mm-hmm. a bit of strategy, but also in data analytics, a lot of account management, a lot of stakeholder management. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was how I dabbled into the world of media. Yep. And I was in there for about six, seven years before mm-hmm. I left it for UX. And how did you come across UX? Or maybe before we jump into that, what would be 
what is UX for those that don't know about it? Because I don't think it's a very well-known, or it's growing, a growing industry, but I wouldn't be surprised if many, like some people, especially students and grads, they wouldn't, if they didn't know what it was, what would be a good way to explain what UX is? I hope no one who listens to this podcast <laughs> is a UX designer because I'm pretty sure someone will point out that there are definitely flaws in this definition. Why? There is, there is no real definition of okay. UX. Everyone's got a different um, explanation for what it is. But the way I see it and the way I explain it to people who don't know what I do mm-hmm. is it stands for user experience. So let's just get that out of the way. UX yeah. is just an acronym, but it stands for user experience. It basically refers to the experience someone goes through when they um, engage with a product. So in Australia, but also in Melbourne specifically, so we want to get really specific, UX tends to be related to digital work. Overseas, it may differ. um, And I'm a strong believer that UX is not just digital only. Mm -hmm. It can be extended to spatial and physical spaces. But let's just say for the sake of it, let's take digital elements. UX is essentially your experience with a digital product. So that could be a website, that could be an app, that could be a touchscreen interface um, when you're at the bank at an ATM or when you're lining up to order McDonald's. So anything that's digital, it could be mm-hmm. what you see on your smartwatches. Oh, smart, yeah. Right? So any interface that's digital, that seems to be the space that um, UX plays in very heavily in Australia. Um, like I said, overseas, it can extend it's it's much more mature in other markets than it is in mm-hmm. Australia so yeah essentially another way I explain it to my friends is you know when you go online and you're using a website or a form or an app or a widget or just something and there's definitely something that doesn't feel right about it like you're looking for information that you can't find mm-hmm. or you can't <laughs> you can't seem to submit a form and you have no idea why or when something crashes and you're not told what's going on Mm -hmm. and you're left in the lurch, those all encapsulates your experience with the product. Mm -hmm. So UX is pretty much uh, there in existence to address those gaps and try to fix it so that people and customers have a great experience with your product slash brand. Yeah, that's a great way to explain. It's really good, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely flaws with it if you want to get really technical but that's the best way to explain it to someone who doesn't know much about it no idea yeah. okay cool it's good um okay so how did you get a, how did you come across it good question my i had a manager when i was doing that year of experiments mm-hmm. so in that year of experiments i did something called blog marketing mm-hmm. and I was working with bloggers and marketing products through their blogs and my manager at the time Um, after she had done her stint there, she moved on to different jobs. And at some point she moved to AGL, the energy company. And she hit me up and said, I had a meeting with a department called experience design, also specifically UX design. I think you really like this space. And that's all she said to me. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what UX stands for. And also you sure I like this? I don't even know anything about it. I'm not even a designer. Mm. And so what ended up happening from that one conversation, and I trusted her judgment because she knew me really well from my stint in the block marketing agency. 
So I trusted her judgment, judgment well enough to explore it a bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And I went uh, and researched it. Mm-hmm. Went to a few one-on-one sessions um, held at different companies. You know, what is UX? Watched a few videos and essentially realized it was a space that I was really interested in. I realized that my learnings as someone who studied linguistics, especially, um, mm-hmm. were quite research heavy at university, played a big role if I wanted to go into design, UX design. Mm-hmm. And that was literally how it started. It was just by someone else who I know very well and who knows me very well, um, spotting an opportunity and mm-hmm. saying, you should explore this space because I think you would really thrive in this environment. Yeah. And up, up until today, she hasn't explained why. She felt oh, no. that? Okay. No, no, she's explained she it. Right. We're still friends. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're still friends. And she did try to explain it to me, but I think she said, you got to look into it because I think once you get to know that space, you would, yeah. you can see whether it resonates with you. But yeah, she was spot yeah. on and she definitely knows it till this day. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Was there a point throughout your, I guess, research and, you know, in throughout um, the time that you were reaching out to people and researching about UX design, was there a point in time where you sort of came to you and was like, oh my God, this is it. I need to, I need to get into this world. I need to do this. Was there a specific point in time where you sort of realized that? Yeah. um, So I, after I found out what it was, having gone to a couple of sessions, introductory sessions about what it is, I started reaching out to people within my network, but also my network's networks, Mm -hmm. reaching out to people who are or were UX designers Mm. at the time and learned more about what they did on a day-to-day basis, Mm. learn what kind of skills would be important. And I think I spoke to about 20 people Mm -hmm. who had very different experiences, but a lot of commonalities. And it took about two months to go through all of them And at the end of those two months, I caught up with somebody from Seek. I can't remember who it was at the time, but I caught up with someone from Seek who advised me to consider if, if, you know, my circumstances were fine with it to apply for a course and like, you know, expedite my learning, learn the theory and go from there. And I don't, I think if they hadn't suggested, I wouldn't have gone down that path. So from there, I applied for a course at um, an institution called Academy XI. And they're based in Melbourne, Sydney, and current, I think now they're in Singapore as well. Mm. But at the time, they were a small startup themselves. Um, and their mission is very centralized around education to change the world. So a lot of it is about you know educating yourself to change the course of your path as well. And one of the courses they offered was UX design. So I went in, spoke to somebody like a course advisor for about I think it was a few hours and knowing that their interests were, you know, genuine, but also really dedicated to the students. I signed up and that was how I started really committing towards it. Yeah. This shows that being proactive does pay off. Oh yeah, um, totally. So you, re- you, you did your desktop research, you're talking to people, you did a course, you did everything that there is to do. <laughs> Yeah, I think I wanted to speak to people, get different opinions, different experiences, because it was a space that, I mean, this was back in 2017. And even in 2017, Mm -hmm. there was still not a lot out there about what UX Mm -hmm. is in Melbourne. 
I think the scene and the community and the industry has grown since. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely getting more mature by the year. But in 2017, it was very hard to find information, very hard to know people who were in UX. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be sure I wasn't reading the wrong kinds of information and, you know, Mm -hmm. making a commitment based off something that might not be true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, didn't want to go off any assumptions. And what about UX that you love? What about it that, um, I guess, ignites this passion in you? I think the thing that gets me most excited is not exactly the job itself, because Mm -hmm. UX is like a piece amongst many other disciplines in experience design. Mm -hmm. So the industry really is experience design. Mm -hmm. UX is one element of it. There is service design, there's customer experience design, and they all have different elements and different types of outputs that they deliver or different skills that are required. I love the industry itself because it really focuses on, I guess, looking at problems in a human way. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times when you work in businesses or in corporates, it's very easy to get caught up in business talk, jargon that doesn't make sense to the average person Mm -hmm. and the thing about design is Mm -hmm. looking at those problems and finding a human lens behind Mm -hmm. it and more importantly listening to the people you're trying to attract or speak to or help so Mm -hmm. when I was in marketing or when I was in advertising in in media essentially we would run campaigns Mm -hmm. that I remember thinking if I was a user I wouldn't enjoy some of the ads that were being shown at me But, you know, there are plenty of times when advertising is amazing Mm -hmm. and it speaks to your heart and it's just, it's just nailed it. It's just nailed an insight and speaks to the particular user they're targeting in the way that, you know, is quite special. So I think those kind of instances, they've definitely thought about a person's experience with the ad, Mm -hmm. right? People who don't think about it, but thinking about how much am I going to make from this campaign and how many Mm -hmm. leads am I going to generate? And what's my conversion rates and so forth. If you're not thinking about what it's like on the other end, so your customer's Mm -hmm. end, there is definitely going to be a disconnect, you know, later on. So the thing I love most about UX and design in general is that it encourages you to think from the user's perspective. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that then encourages you to look at problems from a human lens, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is really powerful. And it doesn't mean you can't, look at it from a business perspective as well Mm -hmm. I think what's really powerful is when you combine the two and you've got you know looking at human lens um, issue versus how does this help the business and if they both can be win-win situations that's kind of what you want at the end of the day yeah it's almost like serving the customer the user well and helping them and supporting them well will also sort of lead to results and money anyways yeah, but that's absolutely you true. think about a customer at the same time. So it, I guess it's more more um, sustainable for the long term. Um, oh, 100%. It's not just sustainable. It's essentially what will differentiate you from every other competitor that's out there. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to prioritize your customer's needs, somebody else in your industry, will. someone in your category will. Mm-hmm. And they'll find a way to make it work for them too. Yeah. So I think it's actually a competitive edge. Like, you know, I have my favorite example in this space is um, the Neobank um, Up. So I'm not uh-huh. sure if you're familiar with UpBank. 
I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome, but they're really awesome because of their experience. So as a product, Mm. they launched with just a, an access account with a debit card and a savings account. And that was all they launched with. There was no credit cards, home loans, et cetera, nothing, none of that. They launched with a very basic product. Mm -hmm. But what made them stand out from any other bank was their experience. And it came from like a vision um, from, I think, the head of product at the time, or maybe I'm pretty sure it was the head of product, or maybe the the co-founder. I'm going to butcher this terribly. Um, But, you know, they had a dream. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could, you know, sign someone up from start to finish for a bank account? within three minutes like I think the dream came from there were the story goes you know wouldn't it be amazing if you got into a queue waiting to buy a coffee and by the end of the queue you could actually have already signed up for a bank account and be ready oh. to purchase your oh. coffee and the dream is visualized and it does take less than three minutes to sign up it's the most amazing experience from a banking perspective it's fun it's got personality but also the experience is so smooth it's really schmick like they it's it's awesome so even though the product is not like out there their experience has put them apart from every other competitor like no other and i think that is the power of good ux but also the power of good experience Mm -hmm. design when Mm -hmm. they look at what it'll be like for a customer you know to sign up with this or what would it be like for our customers to be a part of our ecosystem right Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're my favorite case study because I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think my friend, he tried to sign me up for this, um, but I already have a couple of different bank accounts. So I thought maybe not, but I, I had a look at it and it's, it's, it's just so, it's just so beautiful when it, like, it doesn't look like a bank app. It's so visual, visual and colorful and very very memorable so definitely made a good impression on me yeah Yeah. I will I will note on that so when you say it's beautiful and colorful and everything that is still design of course but it's actually visual design so that's not UX that has not like that has a very distinguished difference with UX Mm. so visual design is equally as important I I, I'm not a visual designer and I have Mm. a lot of respect for visual designers but visual designers know how to you know, they know color theory, they know, well, actually not visual designs, let's just say user interface designers. So anything on digital, people need to know how um, to design components online, check it for accessibility to make sure it's accessible. Mm. Uh, there are lots of elements of visual design that makes a, success, a, a product successful. I do mm. not deny that. So of course, the things you're referring to, like um, ups colors and the way it looks, obviously plays a role in their success mm. but the UX I'm referring to is for example mm. the actual experience and the ease of using it so for mm-hmm. example to sign up there's only 11 data points when you sign mm. up which means they only ask for 11 points of information from you mm-hmm. verification can be done in five steps sometimes verification you know if you go and apply for a bank account I don't know about now but you know, when I was a student applying for a bank account, you had to go into a branch, you had to bring in your documents, you had to show mm-hmm. your document before you could even open up a bank account. This could be all done on your phone and it will be up and running in three minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the ease of doing something, how, how delightful the experience is, how smooth it is, how many errors do you get or how many no errors do you get? Those kind of things are all related to UX. How mm-hmm. it looks, how, it, how visually it 
um, the hierarchy, the, the visual hierarchy of the experience, that's all um, what we refer to as UI, so user yeah. interface uh, designers. Look into that. And I most definitely will never sell myself as a UI designer. Yeah. I can't do that. And I have a lot of respect for people who are really good UI designers. Mm. I think it's a misconception that people think that they're similar or the same. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, it's really hard to differentiate them unless you're in the industry because mm -hmm. what you see is essentially what you think it is, right? So yeah. if someone says design is you know, something that's visual, great. But design is actually, when you get to the fundamentals behind it, mm. is a big part of design is problem solving and thinking mm. about problems in a really interesting way. Even fashion designers do it. Mm. If fashion designers follow the same line of thinking, you know, we would expect the same kind of outputs, right? And the most amazing fashion designers out there often have really crazy um, creations. And a lot of the times it's because they go through their own processes. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a process. Um, and I arguably, I would say design is a process. Your outputs may be different. So your outputs may be fashion. Your outputs may be digital. It may also be spatial. Interior design is still design, yes. But I guess at the end of the day, it is a process. And UX mm -hmm. is just an element in the entire ecosystem of the world of design. Mm -hmm. Experience design is focused on an experience. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times it may not be tangible, although in UX, like I said, a lot of the times it is on digital products. You can see it, but you know, there are other elements of design that isn't tangible like CX. So customer experience design and service design aren't always tangible. They're very strategic in helping brands find, you know, what is a great customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. Would it be okay for us to sort of go, because we talked about what UX is and is not, mm -hmm. it would be good to maybe go to the next level detail and sort of talk a little bit about what does the day-to-day -day look like? What does the day-to-day -day of a UX designer look like? What do you do on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis, for example? Sure. And I'm sure this wouldn't surprise many people, but the answer is depends. <laughs> depends on the projects. Do you but work on projects? Is yeah, it project by project? Okay. Well, I do, but again, someone may have a different experience mm -hmm. to me. So yeah. I work in-house yeah. in a product team and I always have worked in-house in a product team. So my answers are skewed to that mm -hmm. background and that experience. Mm -hmm. But I suppose a day-to-day -day, like experience of what I go through would entail, so it's not exactly linear, but it would entail, yeah. you know, um, working with my stakeholders to understand current problems. So often the business will identify a problem space and it's about working with them to understand the problem from their perspectives. Why is this problem so big for the business? Why it matters to us? What is our goal? What we're hoping to get out of it? Because you need to understand the business before you, mm -hmm. you go off and work because you need to understand both business and customer side. Mm -hmm. then, it's not a UX problem. It's a customer problem can be a UX problem. It also can be a customer okay. problem. So for example, the business can say, we're receiving way too many support tickets on our call in our call centers or our support centers, right? We're getting too many. It's costing us a lot of money and mm -hmm. we need to find a way to cut costs. So that could be an example. Mm -hmm. So understanding it from their perspective helps, but also then understanding it from a customer's perspective. What is it like to be a customer for this company and requesting for help? Hmm. Could be really frustrating, right? Hmm. Why do they call for help? How do they call for help? 
how do they interact with us? They could be calling, they could be emailing, they could be doing all sorts of things. What do they expect a company to do? I expect you to have a chatbot or I expect to be easier than this or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So I guess coming back to your initial questions of a day in the life, first of all, part of my work does involve getting to know our stakeholders and understanding their current problems and you know what they hope to get out of the next quarter or like mm -hmm. the next few months. Then mm -hmm. understanding the problems from the customer's perspective. So that may entail research. It may entail looking at the data that you already have on hand. So anything that's internal that supports the problem space that you're in. Understanding what we call um, your current state. So the current situation, what, what's the picture like? How bad is it or how good is it, right? And then, you know, you might be speaking to customers. You might actually be interviewing them to understand things from their perspectives. Mm -hmm. What's frustrating them? How do they use your products and so forth? And then from there, if, if you have the luxury of going down this path, and I say that because a lot of businesses operate very differently from each other, but ideally if you do, you often have the opportunity to ideate. And um, that means, you know, come up with lots of ideas to solve a problem. There are lots of mm -hmm. techniques to help you get there. So uh, again, these are called design techniques. So different creative ways to get your creative juices thinking and um, explore a problem space in, in all sorts of ways. That's half the fun is ideating and coming mm -hmm. up with ideas that sometimes you would think, ah, that's crazy. I don't think this will <laughs> ever happen. But if you imagine if, if you did, right, if it, mm -hmm. it was proven to be something that customers want and the mm -hmm. business um, believed in, that's like a big win. Yeah. So coming up with ideas to explore and then working with your business and your teams if it is digital, you would have to work with a team to build such ideas. So, you know, your developers and whatnot. So you're working with them, testing them out with people, well, testing it out before you build, ideally, mm -hmm. with customers, learn from them and iterate as much as you can before you finally launch it out. So that's kind of my world from, I guess, a problem from start to end. And to be honest, when you finish a project, especially if it's digital. I mean, a project never dies once it's live. I mean, once it's live, it will live forever, mm -hmm. pretty much. So it's about setting up processes in place of how do you maintain that? How do you measure success? How do you constantly mm -hmm. optimize it so it gets better? Because there's never such, there's no such a thing as perfect. There's mm -hmm. always a way to be better. And if you look at like big companies like Apple and Google or even Facebook and like, you know, I'm just naming the big giants, but you look at them they don't stop iterating mm. like they don't stop with if you look at the latest ios compare it to five ios versions you know mm. the previous ones there's a lot of change where did they get those change ideas from hopefully they've spoken to customers and you know saw a gap here and there but there's always room for improvement so i think that always encourages new thinking looking mm -hmm. at the way people use certain products and identifying any gaps that they want to address Mm. Well, if we don't improve, we probably can become irrelevant and uncompetitive. And that is also so true. Yeah, no, that's yeah. very true. Uh, what's your favorite part of day, your week? What would be your favorite part of the process? Okay, so I have a favorite aspect from a business perspective, and I have a favorite aspect from a customer perspective. Okay. So <laughs> my favorite part of the role from a business perspective is getting to understand what problems plague a business. Um, this might be actually getting into a bit of service design and CX design, but this is just me as a, as a designer now. This is my interest, right? Mm. I love understanding what the business sees a problem as and why, mm. and what are their goals and how do they view the problem? What's their, um, 
what's their perspective on it? Because a lot of that stakeholder management is actually um, involves a lot of EQ and I'm not perfect at it at all, but it's a constant learning curve of how to read, you know, a room or reading, um, learning a business jargon as well. I find that very fascinating. I love learning about new spaces and new realms. So I love that part in the business sense. But from a customer sense, I really do enjoy learning about how users think and behave. So that differs based on the industry that you work in. So I went from banking in the beginning uh, to telecommunications, and now I'm in accounting. Mm -hmm. So there are so many things you can learn about a customer in each industry because it's quite narrow scope. But the beauty about that is you become quite familiar with that space. You're familiar with the common pain points Mm -hmm. in that space. So for example, when I was in banking, I worked in a team that specialized in home lending, Mm -hmm. getting your mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. Especially getting your first mortgage. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of confusion in that journey. A lot of pain (laughs) points. A lot of frustration, a lot of, I don't know what this means and I don't know what's next, you know, in that mm-hmm. experience. So I found that really interesting to unpack and learn from a customer's perspective. I found it extremely fascinating to hear it from a business perspective too. Then I went into telecommunication and learned a lot about the mobile industry and the NBN. So for internet in Australia, I didn't know how the NBN worked. Now I do. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting experience from a business perspective, learning how the business, you know, saw what success was and what their problems and challenges were, but also to hear it from customers and see Mm -hmm. what it was like for them to order internet online (laughs) or buy a mobile plan, what's important to them, right? So that was really fascinating. And now I'm in accounting, which is an industry I know very little about because I, you know, I'm not an accountant, nor did I study accounting. So, you know, learning, I'm slowly learning now in this new industry, what are common pain points, what are the kind of things our users would use our program for, how mm. they go about their day using it, what are some of the you know, things they wished existed or expect certain things to do. So I'm still on that discovery at the moment. But well, it's part, only being a month or so. Or two yeah, months. yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, True. So it's given me a lot of joy. Um, so mm. yeah, learning things from a customer's perspective always excites me and learning things from a business perspective also excites me. Do you get to regularly work with, collaborate with the end users? I guess how yeah. often do you do you guys work with end users or customers? I know you it should. depends, but yeah, 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 totally. Um, really, you should be working with them as much as you can. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, there's a saying: you don't want to design for your users; you kind of want to design with them. Mm-hmm. So. It can, it can appear in different ways. So I know a lot of other businesses have different approaches to this, but like in the past, I've worked with customers, you know, like I've co-designed with them. So it's like, a, it's a term we use when we say, we'll design something with you. So it could be like, you know, a concept or an actual design and working with them to see what they need, but also learning what their needs are and trying to address it together with them in a workshop so that they feel that they're part of the solution, they're being heard of. And we're now living in a day and age where customers know that if a company will listen to them, they're more likely to also stick with you. Mm -hmm. So we, at the company I'm at, we do reach out to our community quite often to, you know, speak to them to learn more about how they use the program, the pros, the cons, but also like focusing on certain research pieces um, in certain problem spaces. Mm -hmm. But 
It's really awesome when you can actually work with your end users, learn more about things from their perspectives, understand you know, and, and really empathize and learn how to, what it must be like to be in their shoes. Because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we're designing, you know, we're designing something that impacts a community. The most you can do is design with them mm -hmm. and really empathize with them. Mm -hmm. so that their needs are always addressed as opposed to your needs. Yeah. Um, very different, yeah. For those that are interested in getting to the world of UX, what would be maybe a common, are there, like, are there specific ways to get into that domain? Or I guess, is, it, like, is the pathway clear in terms of what, what role they should be sort of starting with and then... Or because I find like, for example, for product management, it's not really clear what the entry point is. You can go into product management from UX or from project management or from delivery or from something completely different. Is it the same for UX or is it a way sort of an entry level point to getting to this domain? Well, in my personal opinion, there's definitely no straight answer to that. And I think that is the beauty of this industry though, is that there is no straight entry. So mm. for example, you know, like if you think back in the day, what it took to be a high-end fashion designer, you had to go to fashion school and mm. you had to be, you know, top of class and whatnot. And it was quite elitist, right? Mm. I mean, obviously today it's a little bit more democratized, but back then, like, you know, it was quite an elitist world and design to some extent was considered quite an elitist space. You had to be very specialized. And to be honest, you still have to be to some extent now, but the beauty with experience design is that its power really comes from diversity and like empathy. And so I have met people who've gone into UX from all sorts of industries. I know someone who was once a chef, he's now in UX. I know someone who was a dancer, now they're in UX. I know somebody that was in project management, they're now in UX. I know mm. someone who's an analyst who's now a UX designer. You will never know what kind of person could end up in UX because the gates are still, how do I say this? The barrier to entry is not high, but what's more important is your soft skills that come mm -hmm. with you into UX. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who is really interested in you know, really curious to know why problems happen, what causes them, someone who's not afraid to keep asking why, because you're really like interested in the space. Uh, if you're someone who not just know how to be empathetic with people, but is also interested in learning how to be better with, um, showcase better empathy with people and empathize with people, that's another thing. Um, someone who's good at managing lots of people. So your stakeholders, they don't just sit in a corner while you design. You have to work with them too. So it's about working with different ways of thinking, perhaps different personalities. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy that challenge and learning how to understand people from another perspective and manage that as well, mm -hmm. that's also in design. If you are fascinated in best practices in design, so what makes a great form experience? Mm -hmm. I know it sounds boring, but form design is so interesting. I love it. If you're interested in that space and you want to make it better, make it more accessible, because I think accessibility is becoming a really huge thing, you know, as long as your interest lies in these kind of spaces, you can definitely get like, you know, you, it may suit you. I wouldn't say it will for everyone, but it may. And if you're interested in starting 
the journey to explore a bit more, my recommendation is speak to a few more people if you can in your network or your network's networks who are in this space to learn what they do, how they view it, what are their challenges, what do they love about it. There's a lot of videos online about what this is, mm-hmm. a lot on YouTube. There's also a lot of free events that are put on occasionally introducing people to what UX is. So that's often a meetup. So if you go to meetup.com, people tend to host these um, events. They're often organized by institutions that teach courses, but you know, off- they're also often free. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can attend and learn. So I would encourage if anyone's curious about the space to just learn about it first. Don't mm-hmm. jump straight into it. Just learn about it, learn the pros, learn the cons, learn the kind of things you might need mm-hmm. as a skill. What, you know, learn what part of it intrigues you and mm-hmm. own that because someone might be interested in it for completely different reasons to you. Mm-hmm. So do your due diligence, read up, speak to people and try and connect with others who are also sharing the same passion so that you can obviously connect and share your learnings. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it will all come together whether or not you do want to commit or you don't. Mm-hmm. And the choice is yours. So I don't think anyone who doesn't explore it is wrong because everyone's got a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I know people who thought they wanted to do it and then decided they didn't. And that's totally okay because mm-hmm. they saw something else that they were more interested in. Yeah. But I would definitely say do your research first. And yeah. there's a lot online that is available. Yeah. At least give it a try. No, yeah there's people, a lot online people. and on youtube but also um on medium uh, medium.com mm-hmm. so if you go into medium and type in ux you'll get an abundance of articles because the medium community of ux designers is also huge people love sharing their learnings their stories on medium so there's a lot you couldn't possibly not know much about ux if you researched online because it's there's a plethora of um resources available yeah that's the beauty of today's uh age Uh, a lot of resources are free and easily accessible so there's no excuse to be honest (laughs) be honest like when i like this this role i had never heard of ux until like three years ago Mm. we could be working in roles that we've never heard of or dreamt of in like the next 10 years right yeah so i think at this point as long as you're curious to learn what the space is what it may entail, best of all, learn the misconceptions of it, like what we just talked about. Sometimes people think UX is UI, Mm -hmm. which I will passionately debate against it um, (laughs) because they're two separate disciplines and I respect UI 100%. I would never lie and pretend that I'm a UI designer because I do not have the skills that they have. I I think they're phenomenal as um, a discipline. But yeah, so learn the misconceptions, learn so much more until you know whether or not you want to take this leap. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I started at the same spot having mm-hmm. to research so if a grad for example they they've done the research they've talked to people they've done reading and they decide you know maybe this this is for me i i really want to give it a try could grads that are sort of coming out of straight off uni could they get into ux or is it too early and if they can get into ux would they aim for ux designer role just trying to think if they're applying for jobs for example what role should they be looking for well if you're talking about university grads again Mm. that answer comes back down to it depends because if you are a graduate of a degree that actually addressed ux as part of their degree Mm. you could go 
go into down that path. So I know Swinburne covers UX in mm -hmm. their design degrees. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if those students try to go into UX because they have, you know, the studied a whole degree mm -hmm. on foundations. Exactly. You could also be a graduate that's just graduated out of a, um, an accounting degree and mm -hmm. think this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I would say you would have, if you are someone who hasn't done a UX like degree or course or studies of some sort and you've just come fresh out of uni and you mm -hmm. have no working experience mm -hmm. to get a UX role as your first gig will be challenging only because you are competing with a lot of people out there who have studied something or have transferable working skills that mm -hmm. will be a bit more valuable to employers and the competition will be really tough it's worth noting that the industry itself at least in Melbourne so I can only speak on behalf of Melbourne the industry itself comprises a lot of career changers. So people mm. who worked for a little bit and then realize they want to change careers into something completely different and UX happens to be it. Those people often have X amount of years of working experience, transferable skills that can be put upon in UX design. When you first come out of university and you don't have working experience, mm. someone like that who has some working experience and perhaps have given more thought into pivoting may have an advantage over you. So I wouldn't want to just slam it down and say, if you graduated without a design degree, you can't get a UX job. I don't think that's a downright no, but I definitely do agree that it will be really, really hard mm -hmm. because you'd be competing with a lot of people who have you know, gone down a path that honed in on the foundations of what mm -hmm. you might need as, as a UX yeah. designer. Um, but you could also go to RMIT or Swinburne and do something that's related to UX yeah. and have an edge, right? So again, it comes back to it depends. Yeah. 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 RMIT Online has short courses on UX and product management. So you can spend maybe two months doing that. And at least you yeah. get exposure to the foundations, the theory behind UX. Totally. Um, um, that's true. And I've noticed though, I've, I noticed RMIT Online have started doing UX, but I've also noticed that they are still learning off um, the back of some of the institutions in Melbourne that are really pretty strong in this space. So mm. the two leading institutions mm -hmm. are Academy XI, which is where I went to, but also General Assembly, which may, a lot of people may have heard of them because they're global. Mm. They really pushed UX courses way back when and obviously still do today, but they have been doing it for years and they've been iterating on their you know, teaching methods and um, pivoting where they need to so they I've noticed um, without really having concrete evidence I've noticed their syllabus or even just the way they teach is a little bit different to those of say RMITs which can be quite theoretical mm -hmm. so again if you're interested in this space do your research find out you know what they teach how they teach how much does it cost what do you get out of it you know what what do you need to bring to the table you know like ask and inquire don't don't yeah. just blindly um jump into it yeah <laughs> and plus academic xi i'm not sure about general assembly it sounds like academic academy xi has sort of the teachers and the mentors are from the industry so they are actual practitioners so they will have hands-on experience plus it's a good way to connect with people that are living and breathing ux in a way yes i would also say that general assembly also has practitioners that mm -hmm. teach and mentor and I'm pretty certain RMIT is the same. Mm. So I think at the end of the day, 
of course, having instructors and mentors that are in the industry is super important. Mm -hmm. But I think what I've noticed um, in this space, in this education space, is how they teach and how they embed it in students is really important. And there's different tactics. You can either just teach a class the theory or you can get them to do real work or you mm -hmm. can get them to do it. I don't know, even, even mentoring students um, differs at each of the institutions that we spoke about. So mentorships is very different. So find out. And now we're working in a remote environment. What is that experience like mm. as a student? Mm. Speak yeah. to past students. Find out students that studied at these three institutions. Find out what they loved about it, yeah. what they didn't love about it. Do your own research, right? Like I said, mm. like I, I'm a big fan of research because that, that was my background in linguistics, which is all about, you know, learning, go, going out to the field and speaking to people and yeah. making your own conclusions. Yeah. Um, seeing yeah. for yourself and making the decision yourself and owning it yeah yeah, yeah totally um so so ju just conscious of time maybe i would like to finish off by asking you a question around because i think I, I was gonna ask you for you know what advice would you give someone who's starting their career but maybe i think it might be even more appropriate to ask you maybe what advice would you give to someone who is still searching for the passion and they don't know what they want to do after uni. They've got too many options and they're not sure what to pick. They may be overwhelming. What would you tell them? All right. Big, good question. And it's big. My recommendation is spend some time, first of all, to identify your values mm -hmm. and what's important to you. You have one life, you know, find out what rings true to who you are as a person. So for example, I didn't do this when I finished university because no one told me, but now I wish someone had. But I've recently done this and it's given me a lot of clarity as I entered a new industry, right? Or at least a new uh, career. I identified that I'm someone who really loves communities, building communities. So I like to spend my free time, so not just work, but I like to spend my free time building communities and now specifically in design so building a community of designers and you know providing support but also building on you know mentorships amongst people so that's given me some clarity of what I do outside of work I'm someone who believes in making the boring fun so that explains why I've gone into industries that people would think are really boring like home lending or telecommunications or accounting now, right? <laughs> They're not exactly sexy, but I find a lot of joy in things that are considered boring or complex and making them fascinating and like enjoyable to really get into. So that's my few, like, like I guess something about my values, right? Will show through those mm. perspectives. But find out what drives you. What are you most excited by? What kind of problems are you most interested in? In. you could be interested in solving them or you could just be super fascinated exploring it further I think it's worth listening to those kind of answers so listen to what your values are and listening to the kind of spaces you're interested in so problem spaces then extend it one step further what industries are you interested in what industries are currently going through some interesting uh, reforms if, if possible right and then from there what skills do you have what specialized skills do you have and what soft skills do you have? Sometimes people think they need specialized skills to get into an industry. And sometimes, yes, that is the case. But UX is quite, like I said, low barrier to entry. And I say low in terms of specialized skills. Mm. You do need some skills, but at the end of the day, people in UX or at least people in experience design really value the way you think. Because at the end of the day, it's all about problem solving. 
yes, there's a design output at the end, but good design is only as much as what you put in, right? So if you're a really good thinker, you're creative, you're great with people and you're really empathetic and curious, even if you don't have like, you know, you're not a whiz at our platforms or design platforms, it's okay. You'll learn that on the job really easily. The mindset shift is even harder. So mm -hmm. identify your specialized skills, but also identify your soft skills and then identify any transferable skills if, if this is the path you choose to go into. And also actually, I know I started off this piece of advice with such a big ominous saying, which is like, you have one life. But on top of that, you don't also need to have one job for the rest of your life. Mm. So your first job is often not going to be your last job. Mm. We switch careers, not careers, we just switch jobs quite often as millennials, um, or it's more likely to switch more than um, our parents back then. So your first job may not be your last job. So take comfort in that you don't have to have the most perfect first job. Nobody does. I don't think anybody ever gets a perfect first job. The first job is there to teach you more about yourself, more about the working world, more about your strengths and your weaknesses and what you're prob probably very good at and what you're probably not so good at and probably can benefit by having a teammate that's good in that space. And then it goes from there. Then you can yeah. start learning where your path wants to take you. But your first job is yeah. not perfect. But you can definitely have some direction in the way you want to go. Just like how I kind of experimented for a whole year. And when I landed my first role in media buying, I landed it consciously knowing, right, this is something I want to explore. Mm -hmm. As opposed to randomly applying for random jobs, you know. Yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> uh, it's a process. Of, it's, a, it's a discovery journey, sort of. You, you do as you work over the years, you do sort of realize what you like, what you don't, where your strengths and weaknesses are and where you want to spend more energy and time on. So it does change. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it totally changes. And I think to not give yourself so much pressure when you finish university to get it right. Yeah. I mean, like, like we talked about um, earlier about design is a lot of it is about iterating and learning from feedback and then iterating some more do the same thing with your career okay you did your first job what did you like about it what did you not like about it what did you learn from it how can you approach your second job better or in a more mature way or how can you keep improving yeah totally yeah. so just because of where we are today doesn't mean this is it right mm -hmm. for us we're constantly improving like I'm still learning about myself in this current job I'm learning about how to, what I can do to excel in the space if I want to go up as a leader or not as a leader, go up as a practitioner. I'm still learning. So I think to have that pressure on a grad when they finish university to get it so perfectly right. Yeah. It's, it's not needed, really yeah. not needed. And you can definitely avoid the stress. But that's it. I am a big believer in knowing what your values are and knowing what you want to do with your life, or at least the kind of direction you want to put yourself in, knowing the spaces that excite you. Those are the kind of stuff that will get you excited, even as you go into your first role and learn a lot of mm. hard things. Thank you so much for having a chat with me. I appreciate no it. No problem. Yeah. Let me know how it goes and we'll go from there. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. So that's it, guys, for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you do subscribe to our podcast so you can stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as well. If there is any specific job that you're interested to know more about, make sure you leave a comment on our Facebook post or message us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Australia, and we'll try to whip up an episode for you. 
take care and until next time bye